All houses where men have lived and died are haunted houses. Through the open doors, the harmless phantoms on their errands glide, with feet that make no sound upon the floors. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow Sitting on a picturesque hillside in Paintsville, Kentucky, was a house that many would find charming with its wide wooden porch complete with those dreamy white columns you envision when someone mentions a southern homestead. The orchards creeping up the hillside bring with it the scent of sugary blossoms in the spring and cozy delicious smell of apples and pears in the fall. While it's no mansion, the house appears regal in its station on the top of the hill and looking down into the valley of homes that continued up the holler. For many, it's the American dream to own a home like this one, with land for little ones to explore and grow on. The barn, tucked neatly into the side of the hill, is perfect for livestock and storing the bounty that the mountains have to offer. Yes, for many, this house would be a dream, a haven to hold and protect a family. But for me, the house holds no warmth or comfort. It is a place full of whispers and secrets, where howling vestiges lurk in the corners of every room. This house, with its sweeping beauty, does not invoke feelings of comfort or warmth in my heart. Instead, it causes my pulse to quicken and nightmares of days gone by to dance in my dreams and remind me that our world is filled with things that cannot be explained. Welcome to Season 2 of This House is Haunted Podcast. If you're new around here, welcome to my nightmare. In the episodes to come, I'll continue telling my story spending two and a half years living in a haunted house in southeastern Kentucky. Due to the spooky nature of this podcast... Listener discretion is advised as I take you into a world filled with things that go bump in the night. It was a beautiful May morning when Mama, Sissy, and I were preparing to leave to spend the weekend with Mama. I hadn't seen her in well over two months, and I was anxious to share the experiences I'd had since we were last together when she had removed the poppet from the house. I knew from Mama's whispers that Mamma hadn't been feeling very well lately, but when I had spoken to her on the phone to let her know I was coming, the same warmth I'd always felt from her voice was there. Talking to Mamma would help. She knew what to do. She would know how to make it all stop. I just knew it. My little sister, Molly, was painstakingly picking out which My Little Ponies would make the 30-minute journey as I was sitting on the bed, my eyes fluttering rapidly to fend off the sleep that I had been missing since the whispers had started feeling every night. My teachers had even begun to notice how eager I was for the daily nap time that I had dreaded up until recently. On those little blue and red mats, I found the only peaceful sleep available to me. I often slept in the car whenever running errands with my parents and had taken to sleeping on the patio during the warm spring evenings before Mama called me back inside so I wouldn't get eaten alive by the creepy crawlies out there. Even at that young age, I had the words, 
better than the creepy crawlies in there, dancing on the tip of my tongue. But I held it in cheek and begrudgingly made my way back into the house. I hadn't experienced more than the whispers or shadows since the dream, or the experience, with the disembodied hands that had held me down in my sleep. Even little Molly noticed the change and would often crawl into my bed, not for her own comfort, but for mine, her tiny hand grasping my own as she fell off to sleep and I bundled under the covers, hoping against hope that the whispers would be all that would torment me. There, that ought to do it. My sister's voice jarred me from my drowsiness and I jumped, nearly toppling off the side of the bed. My temper, now shorter than ever with the lack of restorative sleep, snapped. Hey, what are you yelling about? You just about scared me to death. Molly looked towards me, one eyebrow raising. We just got out of bed a little bit ago. It ain't my fault you was napping while I was getting our stuff ready to go to Mamma's. Here, she tossed her red locks, lifted the tote bag with a rainbow variety of pony hair protruding from it, and walked into the hallway towards the kitchen. The smell of bacon was wafting through the air and my belly growled, ready to tuck into the pancakes and bacon that would be waiting on the dining room table. I pulled up the little bag I had packed when I first woke up and before I would sat on the bed to watch Molly do the same, when I noticed that the light was flickering on and off in the closet. The fear that normally gripped me whenever I saw something out of the ordinary in the house did not rush over me like usual, and without consideration for what it might cause, I yelled, Even you ain't gonna ruin this weekend! And I angrily pulled the bag to my shoulder and ran from the room without looking back. My body was tensely awaiting some sort of punishment for my lack of regard for the thing in the shadows. But the sun continued to shine brightly in the hallway as I stepped into the dining room where two large plates of pancakes and bacon sat. My sister was devouring a piece of extra crispy bacon, bordering on burn if you ask me, just the way she liked it. My brother was sitting directly across from her but had his headphones on, the muffled yells of Motley Crue echoing around the room. My mom walked in with Daddy close behind, carrying glasses of milk for us kids, while Mom carried her homemade syrup and Daddy's cup of coffee. After setting everything down, she promptly turned to my brother, plucked the headphones from his head, pressed stopped, and said, Not at the table, Wayne. Lord, you're going to go deaf before you're 18 at this rate. Give them ears a break, son. Daddy was laughing as he handed Wayne his extra-large glass of milk. He drank about a gallon a day on his own back then, and that is no exaggeration, and said, If you're smart, you'll keep them lips zipped. Besides, you need to eat up. we got to get on over to the stock sale so we can see what kind of hogs they got in. Clearly not excited about either things happening at the table, but not wanting to stir things up, Wayne slumped into his chair, took a long drink of his milk, and simply said, I gotta be back around two. Billy Bob and I are gonna meet up with some of the other guys from the baseball team and get some swings in. Dad nodded and said, We should be back around that time, but if it comes between replacing all this bacon y'all are eating this morning or getting you back in time to go hit some baseballs, I think you'll know which one I'm worrying about first. 
Daddy took his seat next to Mama, said the blessing over our breakfast, and we all tucked in. As we ate, a scratching sound came from the wall behind me. The hairs on the back of my neck stood up and Daddy frowned. Dang it! I thought we got rid of those mice. Wait, we're going to need to swing into the hardware store too while we're out. The sound lasted only a few seconds before tapering off, as if the house was determined to get one good scare out of me before I left for the weekend. The thought of being safe at Mamaw's kept me from jumping from the chair and running out the door. I dug my fingers into the sides of the chair, took a few deep breaths until I felt my heartbeat slow down. As it did, I resumed eating and focused on the taste of the food, the saltiness of the bacon, the softness of the pancakes, and the sweetness of the syrup. Things I could see, things I could taste, things I could touch. This house with its secrets and its horrors made me question so much that I took great comfort in things I knew to be true. One of those things was that I was leaving for the weekend and would soon be in my mamaw's house 30 miles away where no monsters dared to tread. Deep in the valleys of Garrett, Kentucky. By the time we loaded up the car and made a couple trips back inside for this or that, the skies had darkened and fat droplets of rain began to splatter against the windshield as we backed down the drive. Not even the dark clouds that blinked with lightning could dampen my joy over being away from the house for the weekend. Mama played her favorite 50s and 60s music on the tape player, and we sang along enthusiastically to such hymns as Build Me Up Buttercup and other classics that I'd been listening to since being in utero. (laughs) Even with the enthusiastic singing of my mom and sister filling the car, sleep failed me quickly as we drove further from the house. The weight of all that I didn't know about the place we called home lifted, and I was simply a little girl who loved napping in the back seat of the car. The steady thrum of the tires hitting the blacktop, the coziness of all the familiar scents of my family, the breeze from the vents had always been the perfect way to get me to sleep. My mom had told me stories about just driving around the family property at times when I was a baby so that I'd finally get some sleep as I was a night owl even back then. It seemed I had just closed my eyes when I heard the car door open and Mom say, Teeny, we're at Memo's, honey. Grab your bag. I sat up, rubbing the sleep from my eyes and wiping an unseemly line of drool from my lips and looked out to see the white siding of Memo's house just beyond the car. I smiled, unbuckled my seatbelt, and slid out. I had always loved visiting Memo. A couple of miles before getting to the exit for her holler was a large mountain you drove up that we fondly nicknamed Mamaw's Hill, which we call it to this day, even though she's been gone for over 35 years now. I hated that I'd missed hearing someone say it and the warmth I felt driving through the old coal town, complete with a small general store named Campbell's that still offers store credit accounts to this day as well as a local hardware store, a gas station, post office, and consignment shop. 
A railroad ran directly through the town, and it was a frequent stop for the railmen to get their fix of Anna Lois's bologna salad, pimento cheese sandwiches, or whatever else she felt like fixing up that day. Across the tracks and near the road that you traveled in on stood a mountain where houses were literally built into the side of it. The town had never been big and bustling, but there was no mistaking it only existed to serve the coal industry and those who worked in the depths to bring it hence. Folks couldn't park their cars close, and they had to walk up and down steep stairways to get to their houses, which didn't seem to bother them much. Most of the folks living in Garrett could trace their family history back to the 1700s, just like my mama's family could, and had been carving out a living in the mines ever since settling in the States. Folks waved as you drove through, and most people were someone mom had known since she was my age. Mamma and Papa had been fixtures at the local church and invited anyone who needed a place to go for supper back on Sundays. Stepping out into Mamma's lawn, I felt the warmth of that community embrace me like a warm hug. This was a place of refuge. The house, tucked in a valley, had three looming mountains in front of, behind, and to the right of it. If you looked left, you'd see the winding two-lane road that led up the holler. It had stopped raining, but the smell of ozone was heavy in the air, as was the smell of the pines and all manner of other trees that blanketed the mountainside. I looked behind Mamaw's house and heard the bubbling of the creek, and as the wind blew, could smell the sweetness of the honeysuckle that grew wildly along the creek bank. I closed my eyes and sighed, feeling the tension of my shoulders loosen like a belt after a good meal. With my eyes still closed, a familiar voice called to me. Well, you gonna stand out there with your neck crooked back like a turtle, or you gonna come in here and help me with this apple pie? I opened my eyes and looked towards the front door, which was at the top of about eight concrete steps. Mamma stood there, her long auburn hair pinned meticulously in place, her ever-simply-made blue dress falling below her knees. Even from this distance, I could see the gauntness in her face, and her voice sounded much more strained. However, none of this dampened the immediate sense of love and protection I felt after seeing her. Mamma, the only one whose hand I ever got to hold, the only grandparent who was alive at the same time as me, the one who had made me tuna sandwiches that tasted so much better than Mama's, the one who hummed while she braided my hair, the one who had double-dog dared us young'uns to go traipsing in her flower bed, Mamma, who had always been a beacon of love, who was fading now, but still shining like a beacon in a dark sky. I ran towards the front patio, and the smell of apples and cinnamon called me into her warm embrace. After we got our things settled into the back bedroom we'd be sharing with Mama, Sis and I ate a piece of still warm pie with a cold glass of milk, while Mom set to helping Mamma get a shower. Mamma had tried to shoo her away, but Mom insisted that just because we, my sister and I, were there didn't mean she had to be Superwoman. 
Mamma had winked at us and said, Burley, you've got about as much tact as a bull in a china shop. But she acquiesced and disappeared into the bathroom with Mama. Mamma's kitchen was warm, but not uncomfortably so. She had the windows above the sink open, and the breeze blew in the scent of honeysuckle that mixed beautifully with the smell of her pie. Mamma didn't listen to the radio, as she was old regular Baptist, and they had a strict policy against secular music. She had given her children a record player, but preferred to be outside when they were given the time to listen to it. With it just being her in the house these days, she preferred the chorus of the birds, the insects, and wind over whatever caterwauling the radio had to offer. You would think it would have been odd for two kids in the 80s, but we spent most of our time outside at Mamaw's house during the day, typically helping her garden, wading through the creek, or climbing the crabapple trees. Mom had brought a Walkman for us just in case, but it sat in her bag untouched, even after Mamaw was back in the kitchen, her hair damp from washing. She was now wearing a modest house gown and a pale blue quilted robe. Mom pulled out a chair for her at the table, and Mamaw frowned. Now, I may not have the strength I did, Burley, but I reckon I can still pull out my own chair. Mom, not missing a beat, said, Yes, but I would rather you save that strength for these two wild little girls who couldn't wait to see you. My sister and I didn't make our typical rush towards her, as it was even more evident now that we were closer that Mamaw was sick. She had always been a very thin person, but now you could count the bones in her hands and face. Her legs appeared spindly and pale, but when she lifted her arms towards us, we let ourselves be folded into her warmth. Her hair smelled faintly of lavender, and her skin was still soft, albeit much cooler than the last time we had embraced. She sighed loudly, making a <sighs> sound before saying, this is exactly what Mamaw needed, the very best medicine. I remember closing my eyes and thinking the very same thing. That day passed in a blur of roses trimmed, flower beds weeded, while Mamaw sat on the large covered porch and instructed us from her gliding rocker. Many times I glanced back to see her face drawn up as if in pain, only for her to stretch a bit, notice my gaze, and smile back to me. When dinner time rolled around, Mom insisted on doing the cooking, even though Mamaw had already assembled a meatloaf in the fridge, in addition to beans she had broken up. Mom peeled and cooked some potatoes and fixed up a cast iron skilled cornbread, and we all laughed as my sister told a wild story that had something to do with unicorns hiding somewhere on Mamaw's hill. I remember watching Mamma when dinner was served to make sure she was eating and seeing her taking small bites and then moving the food around her plate. She ate the cornbread and beans while the potatoes and meatloaf were disassembled and moved around her plate. That worried me, but I remained quiet. My mama seemed to notice too, but didn't say anything besides, tomorrow I'll make you some soup beans, mama, something a little lighter. Mamma had patted her hand, and Mom had lifted hers to kiss it before gathering up all our plates. I remember thinking, 
That's what love is. Noticing what people need and offering it before they could even ask. Sleep came quickly that night, my belly and heart full, with the house safely miles and miles away, the mountains forming a barrier of protection that I felt was impenetrable. I had a moment's worry about Wayne and Daddy and then remembered they'd been sleeping like logs since we'd moved in, so that soon dissipated and I slept more soundly than I had in months. The following morning, Mom and Sis were already out in the garden picking green beans by the time I walked into the kitchen where Mamma was sitting in her nightclothes, her eyes focused near the hallway where I entered from. It almost seemed like she was looking at somebody. And I could have swore I saw her lips move, but maybe that was just me still waking up. Seeing me seemed to startle her, and she shook her head, her eyes looking very far away for a split second, before realizing her grandbaby had entered the room and hadn't had any breakfast yet. In proper mamaw fashion, she pointed me straight to the table, where there were biscuits, gravy, sausage, and fried potatoes, waiting and my stomach growled so loudly she heard it from across the room and laughed. Seems to me that somebody slept past the time their belly is used to being fed. She patted the chair next to her and I skipped over, feeling lighthearted and happy to be in the heart of her home, where the light filtered through like spun gold in the mornings. As I loaded up my plate, began savoring the bounty of the morning's meal, Mamma sat back in her chair, crossed her legs, and as I took my last bite of peppery gravy, said, Now that your belly's full, I reckon we ought to talk about what's been going on in that house of yours. Well, hello there, creeps. Welcome back to the hills and hollers of eastern Kentucky. You've traveled with me to one of my core memories, visiting Mamma in the house that later became my home of 14 years. I'm so glad you've joined me once again as I tell the story about the house, even if we've detoured to Mamma's for a couple of episodes. I'm happy to report I'm feeling much more grounded after sharing so much of the trauma that plagued me for those first few months in the house. Thank you for giving me the space to heal as much as one can. I wish I could say the worst is behind us, but I'd be lying if I did. If you enjoy the show, please remember to like and most importantly subscribe as that helps the podcast grow. I'm a one-woman show, so every like, share, and review makes my little fuzzy heart smile. It would also mean a lot if you would take the time to give me a rating on whatever streaming service you're using. I want to know what I'm doing right, I want to know what I'm doing wrong, and the only way I could do that is if I get some feedback from you guys. You can also find This House is Haunted podcast on Facebook and Instagram for updates and photos. Until we meet again, keep it creepy, and don't go chasing any voices you hear in the night.